Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans? Romans chapter 1. We just sang a song, bold as a lion, brave as a bear. Take the news of Jesus to people everywhere. Shout the gospel story. Give God the glory. Be bold as a lion, brave as a bear. You know, this morning, we're going to go back into the Old Testament and look at a man who needed to be as bold as a lion and as brave as a bear, and his name was Ezekiel. But I thought as we think about Ezekiel, let's think about it also from a New Testament perspective as we look, first of all, at the Apostle Paul, at something he said. And in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, or actually let's look at verse 15, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church at Rome, and he says, as, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of Christ revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Well, here Paul has a message to declare that to be just, you live by faith. By faith, that is believing in God, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, the gospel of Christ is that Christ died for us and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And you know, if we were to turn back a book to the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, we would learn there that Jesus gave us a great commission when he said, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And Jesus said, ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Samaria, or in Jerusalem and in Judea and in all Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. We have a commission to be witnesses to share the gospel, and to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ as shared, and we need to share throughout all the world. Now, what's this have to do with Ezekiel? Could I have my slides up there, please? What's this have to do with Ezekiel? He was a prophet. He was a priest. He was a captive. His name means strengthened by God. And boy, when we learn about his life, we find out indeed he had to be strengthened by God. He needed God's strength. So if you would now, take your Bibles and turn with me back to the book of Ezekiel. Now, I think many of you know the name Ezekiel because many of you have memorized the books of the Old Testament, right? But do you know who Ezekiel is? And do you know why and how he appeared in history and how God used him? My goal this morning and next week is to give you a high-level overview of the life and ministry of Ezekiel. And I'm having really hard to resist the the burden to share with you and to preach through every single chapter of this book, because really every chapter, every verse is profound truth, both in history from which we can learn. And so 
as we just here today are going to just hop from highlight to highlight, I want you to be sure that you go home and you read this amazing book, this book of Ezekiel. But you might be thinking, wait a minute. We've been learning about Jeremiah, and we haven't finished the book of Jeremiah. Why are we jumping over to Ezekiel? Well, the reason we're jumping over to Ezekiel is so that you can place Ezekiel in the chronology of Jeremiah, in the chronology of Second Kings, and so that you can understand what's going on. So if we look here at this timeline, you can see there the purple kings. And you can see the yellow bar there is in the reign of Zedekiah. Zedekiah. And you see the black bars down on the bottom there, those prophets. We have Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel. There you see Ezekiel, don't you? And you see that he overlaps. We've been spending lots of time in Jeremiah, and actually a lot of the events we've learned about in Jeremiah have been overlapping with things that have been going on in the life of Daniel. And one of these days we're going to jump on over to Daniel. But here it's important for us to look at Ezekiel because there's some really interesting things in parallel between these two prophets. Daniel's intriguing because Daniel seems to take where they're at in Babylon and he focuses very much upon the nation's history. And it seems almost as if, not quite, very importantly, not quite, he has left Judah and Israel and he focuses on the Gentile nations. He doesn't ignore Jacob's family. For in fact, actually, some of the greatest prophecies relating to the future of Israel are given to us in Daniel. But his main focus is on the Gentile nations. Ezekiel, on the other hand, is focused on Judah. He does spend some time on the other nations around Judah, but his focus is on Judah, and his focus is on this particular time of history. So, We've seen these captivities, haven't we? In 606 B.C., what happened? The princes of Judah were carried away captive. This included Daniel and his three friends. And this, these were hostages carried away captive to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. Well, then in the next year, 597 B.C., not the next year, but the next captivity, was the second captivity in which 10,000 were carried away captive, including the king, Jehoiakim, as well as Ezekiel and Mordecai. Do you see Ezekiel there? Here is where Ezekiel was carried away captive. And a lot of his references throughout his book reference back to these two dates. Someone asked me several weeks ago, why are these dates import so important? Because they play into these events. All of Ezekiel, he references back to these two dates. He's talking about, and he'll go back and forth between even in chapter 1, he's using 606 B.C., and then he's using 597 B.C. as his reference point so you know where he's talking about in chronology. That's how he places it together. One beginning with the captivity in the days of Daniel, and then beginning with his own captivity, or he actually doesn't refer to it as his own. He refers it to it as the captivity of Jehoiakim. It was in the year of his captivity. So here is where we really begin. And much of the events and the prophecies that take place in Ezekiel take place after 597. In fact, actually, five years after that is when it really begins and continue on to the final destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. when Jerusalem is totally destroyed. So Ezekiel falls between and after 597 B.C. and 586 B.C. Everything we're going to learn about today takes place between 
these two dates. Ezekiel. Here we can see a little zoomed in piece of it. You see the bars of the blue on the bottom. Those are the kings. You have Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jeconiah, Jehoiakim, and then we have Zedekiah. So right there where you see the red bar, that's where Ezekiel was taken as a captive from his homeland of Judah as a priest. And he was carried away to Babylon. I have up here this to mark that this is where we're at. We're in Babylon. And he lived in a little place between the Euphrates River and the Tigris River in the land of Babylon. In fact, the river that's mentioned here is actually a canal that was dug between these two famous rivers, the rivers Euphrates and Tigris River, the, the, and it was called here the River of Chebar. That's a canal that ran between those two. So that's where Ezekiel was carried away captive to, to the nation of Babylon, and it took place right there as you see that red bar. The book of Ezekiel begins here just a few years later. Notice, it's before Nebuchadnezzar has come and besieged Jerusalem in the ninth year of Zedekiah, but yet it's after the captivity of Jehoiakim. So this is why we're taking some time to learn about Ezekiel, because this is where it falls. In fact, actually, last week, we were learning about some things of Jeremiah after Nebuchadnezzar had besieged Jerusalem. But as we come here to Ezekiel, the events take place after there had been some captivities, two of them, but yet before Nebuchadnezzar had actually come and besieged the city. God has a plan for Ezekiel. He has a plan for Ezekiel. He wants Ezekiel to preach messages to the captive Jews in Babylon. And not just for the captive Jews, but he is hoping and anticipating that these messages will make it back to Jerusalem too, through the captive Jews' messengers or families or people going between. There are sermons for the Jewish people, warnings, 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 judgment is coming. But not only does Ezekiel focus on judgment, Ezekiel focuses on the faithfulness and the promises of God. And so, just as we sang earlier about being bold as a lion, brave as a bear, Ezekiel needed to be just that because he has some very hard sermons to preach to the nation of Israel. And it begins with God revealing himself to Ezekiel in a glorious, amazing vision. This artist here tried to capture some of the majesty and the glory that's described in Ezekiel chapter 1 of what he saw. If you look there in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber out of the midst of the fire, also out of the midst thereof there came a likeness of four living creatures. And he goes on to describe the seraphim and describe the glory of God. For a vision of God came to him there in that place, and God had a message for him. And throughout the rest of Ezekiel, do you know how we know who he is? God calls him the Son of Man. Son of Man. Son of man, go speak this. Son of man, go show them this. Son of man, do this. I love chapter 2, verse 2, 
where, Jer- where Ezekiel, the son of man, it says that the spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet that I heard that he spake unto me. The spirit of God came into Ezekiel. You know, that's, that's something. Remember we saw Acts 1.8? What did Jesus promise just before he gave us the Great Commission? But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Did you know that when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit moves inside of us? Thereby we have power, we have authority, we have strength to preach the gospel. Just like Ezekiel. Now I'll tell you, God asked some things of Ezekiel that I'm sure glad he doesn't ask of me. It's amazing. You're going to find out. You're going to find out. But how much more does it cause me to sit back and say, how easy is my job? I mean, some of the unbelievable things that God asked Ezekiel to do, how hard is it for me to simply be bold to share the good news of Jesus? Especially knowing that just like Ezekiel, I too have the Spirit of God who has moved inside of me. But you know what? God continued on for Ezekiel, and he told him, Ezekiel, I'm sending you to a rebellious people. And on the very day that God called Ezekiel and commanded him to go preach, he told them, they aren't going to listen to you. Oh, wow. Do you think you'd take up a job like that? That'd be a hard job to take. But that's what God told Ezekiel right off. Chapter 2, verse 3, he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord thy God. And he tells him to tell them and to warn them, of the judgment to come. And he tells Ezekiel not to be afraid in verse 6, not to be afraid of them. He continues on to say that they're not going to listen to you. In fact, if you were to go to people who didn't understand your language and you didn't understand their language and you were able somehow to communicate warnings of judgment to them, they would listen. But these people who understand every word you say, they won't listen to you. They won't hear. Oh, what a job does Ezekiel have. God tells him to be a watchman. Now, we may not know exactly what watchmen are nowadays, but back in those days, they had these towers that were built, not only in the cities, but also out in the fields and on the hilltops. Here's a little map of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem had actually several towers throughout their city where they could look over the mountains and regions and be able to see if an enemy was a coming. From these towers, there would be sentries, guards, who would stay there not to sleep, but to watch. And if they saw an enemy approaching, they would take the trumpet and they would sound the alarm throughout the city so that the people would know outside the walls and inside the walls to prepare, to prepare for an enemy was coming. And they would sound the trumpet. And God tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, you are like that watchman. I'm appointing you a watchman over the house of Judah, for I want you to warn them. Sound the trumpet, not with an actual trumpet, but with the words of sermons. Warn them of the judgment that is coming. Sound the alarm. For you know, in those days, if the watchman fell asleep and the city was surprised, 
that watchman lost his life for the blood of the people who were killed because they were not warned was upon his head. His hands were bloody. Even though he shed no blood because he was sleeping, he forgot or failed to sound the alarm. God says to Jeremiah or to Ezekiel, you are like that watchman. You warn them. And if you don't, their blood is upon you. And if they hear your warnings and they ignore the truth, their blood is upon them. It's interesting how this relates to us New Testament in this time. I'm not entirely sure. For we know that if any man be in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. But at the same time, Paul also recognized when he was dealing with those in Asia Minor, and he said that he is free of the blood of all men. And the reason he said that is because he had not failed within the three years that he was amongst that region to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Echoing back to this warning here given to Ezekiel. Be a watchman who's watching for the enemy and sounding the alarm. That's Ezekiel's job. Be watching for the enemy and sounding the alarm. And you might be wondering, wait a minute, how can he do that? He's in Babylon. Jerusalem is a long ways away from Babylon. You're right. But you know what's so sad? Is that even among the captives that have been carried away, there are many who are not believing. They're not believing. And God is wanting Ezekiel to preach to them and to warn them. Well, so God gives Jeremiah some specific object lessons to give to this nation. Elijah's going to be my Ezekiel this morning. And here we're going to learn about some object lessons that God calls Ezekiel to do. Remember I told you that God gave him some pretty hard jobs? Well, here's the first one. It's in the fifth year. So this is after you've been carried away captive. You're in Babylon. But before, Nebuchadnezzar has besieged Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, remember, Jeremiah is prophesying Put your neck under the yoke of Babylon. Submit to the Babylonians. And are they listening? No, they're not listening. In fact, members of your own family, other priests, are prophesying good and saying, we will be restored. The captives, like him, they'll be returned soon to us. The treasures taken from us will be returned. The false prophets are lying, lying, lying in Jerusalem. And they're lying here in Babylon. Jeremiah's preaching in Jerusalem, and nobody's listening to him. In fact, they're oppressing him. And now God calls Ezekiel to begin to preach and to teach the people in Babylon, to warn the people in Babylon, listen, don't listen to these false prophets. Just like the people in Jerusalem need to stop listening to the false prophets. Judgment's coming. Stop your sinning and repent. So he gives Jeremiah a command. Chapter 4 of Ezekiel, thou... Also, son of man, take thee a tile and lay it before thee and portray upon it the city, even Jerusalem. And so that's what he did. Here, Ezekiel, he has made a tile and the likeness of Jerusalem upon it. Can you all see it? Here, hold it up for everybody to see. You see there? We've got the wall of the city. We've got the main gate with the towers, another tower over here, a citadel here next to the city of David. Up here is the temple mount where the temple and the palace are. Here, this is ancient Jerusalem. 
in the time of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And God told Ezekiel, take a tile and put the likeness of Jerusalem on it, and then I want you to do something with it. In the sight of all the people, you take this, and you go, well, let's read what it says exactly. Lay siege against it. So he lays here on his left side, and there's significance to that as he lays on his left side, as he's going to lay siege to it. Now, you guys all know what these are, right? Yeah. These are army men. I bet you didn't know that there's, there's, there's army men in the Bible. Well, they didn't look like this. These guys are from World War II. But that's what God tells Jeremiah, Ezekiel. He says to him to go and to set and to besiege the city of Jerusalem. Now, I don't think his army men look like this because these army men have guns and so forth. But here, that's what he's supposed to do. But not only that, he's, he's supposed to be putting, putting um, bulwarks against it and heaps against it and the, the, the oh my, the artillery. You know, this one here, I don't know what, ga- what, what uh, caliber. Do you know what caliber this is? No, I don't know. But I, they used to shoot things, but it didn't come like this. It came out of catapults. And so here... Ezekiel is supposed to besiege his little city, besiege them about. Now, how many of you would find it intriguing to be walking along doing your business in Babylon, and here you see Ezekiel playing with army men? And um, that's Jerusalem, I'll tell you. The people there knew. They could see. They recognized it. That was Jerusalem. And here he is, playing army men against Jerusalem. Look what God says to him. Lay siege against it, and build a fort against it, and cast a mound against it. Set the camp also against it, and set a battering rams against it. Round about So that's what Ezekiel does. He laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. Now, I imagine there were a lot of people who were pretty upset about this. Keep in mind, we think and we know Nebuchadnezzar is going to come against Jerusalem because it's already happened. We know that Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and he's going to burn Jerusalem and he's going to destroy Jerusalem. The people in Babylon are being preached and told by false prophets and liars that they will soon return to Jerusalem. And here they are seeing Ezekiel, the audacity of this man to be playing army men against Jerusalem. I don't know if if you when you were kids or when you were growing up, you know, all all ages like army men. Um, did, Did you ever want to be on the bad guy's side? You know, when you played cops and robbers? I always wanted to be the cops. You know, I didn't want to be the bad guy. Imagine here now Ezekiel. But here's what's going on. When he did this and before he did this, you know what else he did? He got together a bunch of food and water. Because, you know, he's not going to just play army men besieging Jerusalem for a few hours one sunny summer afternoon. He's going to play army men for over a year. Some people think it was just for a few hours a day for over a year. 
It doesn't say that. In fact, it actually tells him to go gather his food beforehand because he's going to need it because he's not going to be able to uh, leave his fort, his little besieged city. But here as this is going on, God gives him another command. In verse 3, you see there, Ezekiel chapter 4, 3, Moreover, take thou unto thee an iron pan, And set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city. And set thy face against it. And it shall be besieged, and thou shalt lay siege against it. This shall be a sign unto the house of Israel. Now why is Ezekiel doing this? Well, God has warned over and over throughout history that when trouble comes, when you have not submitted to me, I will be as iron to you. God is saying, this, this will happen. I will let it happen. I will let it happen. As though there were an iron skillet between us. He's told to do this and to lie upon his left side to lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of days shalt thou lie there, thou shalt bear their iniquity. According to the number of days, 390 days. He's to lay here on his left side 390 days, which is a symbol of 390 days, I'm sorry, years of rebellion in the house of Israel. You know what that was? Their entire existence, all the way back to Jeroboam the first. And here he lays here for 390 days, playing army men against Jerusalem as a sign against the house of Israel. And then God says to him to turn over onto his right side for another 40 days. Now, we're just here doing this here in a few hours in Bible hour on one Sunday morning. But imagine that if every day you going to work, you'd pass by the crazy man, because that's what I think he became known as. Playing with his army men against Jerusalem, warning of judgment. Day after day after day after day after day for 430 days. Do you think people got the message? They didn't. Jer Ezekiel was told to bear his arm against them. And then God told him about his food, to prepare his food. He told him to gather some food, some barley and some beans and some lentils and millet and, flitches, and to put them all in one vessel. And he's supposed to make bread of this day by day. He's supposed to make his own bread. So he's, he's like camping out. And so I don't know how much all that is. Well, you could, you could calculate it out. Uh, let's see here. This would be 430 days. Uh, he gathered 215 pounds of food together to prepare for this siege. And you know what? Each day, God told him he was supposed to make food for himself, and it was rationed in verse 10. He could only have 20 shekels of the meal 
each day. You know how much that is? A half pound. Now, I don't know how much you eat in a day, but you know people eat quarter pounders of beef. Well, here we got half pound of just the barley, the wheat, the cornmeal. That's the day's ration. So here for 430 days, Ezekiel is going to eat bread, bread, only a half pound's worth. His water is going to be rationed too, to only two-thirds quart. That ain't much water. Two-thirds quart is all he gets every day. And you might be like, why? Because Ezekiel is warning Jerusalem and the Jews, this is what's going to happen in Jerusalem. This is going to happen in Jerusalem. The food is going to be rationed. The water is going to be rationed. The city is going to be besieged. And God is going to be as if there is an iron pan between he and the city. Ezekiel is warning the people warning the people. It actually gets even more a little bit t -t 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 troubling. For God tells him all of this, and he tells him you're supposed to cook. You know, you got to cook bread, right? Well, in order to cook bread, how do we do it? We turn on our oven, and the electricity flows in and heats up our oven. Or we turn on our gas, and the gas flows in and burns and heats up our oven. Or we might have a wood stove, you know, like Dutch ovens, and we might fill wood inside there, or we might have one of those grills that we put charcoal and wood in. You know, nice flavored. Let's see, what are some of the flavors they put in grill? I, I think, you know, yeah, they do hickory, all, the, all these wonderful things to flavor and savor the meat. Well, he's got to cook his bread. But, you know, he's assigned to Jerusalem. And so God says to him, look here. <clears throat> in verse 12, Thou shalt eat it as barley cakes. And thou shalt bake it with dung that cometh out of man in their sight. Y'all grossed out? I'm not even going to explain it if you didn't get it. <laughs> Just so you know, Ezekiel was grossed out. The Lord said, even thus shall the children of Israel eat their defiled bread among the Gentiles, whither I will drive them. And then Ezekiel, he says, then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, my soul hath not been polluted, for from my youth up even till now have I not eaten of that which dieth of itself or is torn in pieces. And he's speaking of these things that are unclean. He, he's, he's basically objecting to how he's supposed to cook his bread for the next 430 days. Verse 15, then he, the Lord, said unto me, Lo, I have given thee cow's dung for man's dung, and thou shalt prepare thy bread therewith. So how many of you are going to go home and cook with, yep, I got some, cow's dung? Yeah, you know, people buy hickory wood specially to flavor their meat, don't they? How many of you want this kind of flavor? Remember this the next time you're afraid to talk to that friendly cashier about Jesus. Is it so hard to have the courage to speak of the good news of Jesus? Here God gave Ezekiel a pretty hard job. Camp out. Play with army men. Eat very little. Drink very little. 
and your food you cook, you cook with cow's dung. As a sign to the people. Now, now people are wise. Why, Ezekiel? And he preaches to them. He preaches to them as it continues on in all of this. This is, this, God says in verse 16, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, behold, I will break the staff of bread in Jerusalem, and they shall eat bread by weight and with care, and they shall drink water by measure and with astonishment that they may want bread and water and be astonished one with another and consume away for their iniquity. God's going to judge them by breaking the supply of bread. So that's exactly what Ezekiel did, this sign, this message to this nation. Now, whether this happened at the same time or later, I don't know for sure, but I think it happened in the same, the, the same 430 days. God says to Ezekiel, Thou son of man, Take thee a sharp knife, take thee a barber's razor, and cause it to pass upon thine head and upon thy beard. So, Jeremiah is going to get a haircut. That's Jeremiah. Ezekiel. Do I keep saying Jeremiah? I'm so sorry. He's supposed to take. And you know what? He's going to go bold. Oh, I've got the guard on. Hey, I offered him 20 bucks to shave his head. And it took me a long time to convince him to accept the 20 bucks to let me shave his head. And we finally came to terms, and his mother forbid it. <laughs> so I offered to shave my own head. She still forbid it. <laughs> I offered to pay her 20 bucks. Anybody here want to volunteer? You have to get your mom's approval. <laughs> but I told her, I said, I have to have hair. That's the whole point of the story. That's the whole point of the narrative. So she said I could use the guard to get myself some hair for this illustration. You ready? Well, so they shaved his head. Boy, there's not very much here. He got a haircut too recent. There we go. Think that's enough? Ezekiel shaved his head. Now, here you guys are all laughing. You want to know why his mommy objected to getting his head shaved? Even I didn't really like the idea. I told my wife that if I got my shaved head shaved, none of you would forget it. <laughs> you would definitely get it. None of you would forget it. Why? Now, some of us, I shouldn't say us, because I'm, I'm blessed with lots of hair, good hair, but you know, some people are bald and they can't help it. And sometimes as people go bald, it bothers them. And um, there's nothing wrong with being bald in that way. But you know, in this day and in this time, most people don't like being bald. It's, it's kind of awkward. You know, being bald and getting your head shaved is the kind of things the Nazis did. And just as the Nazis did it to humiliate and shame people, so did the Assyrians and so did the Babylonians. Who would ever think of doing that to themselves? Well, some people do, but anyway. It's not the normal thing, especially for women. For, in 1 Corinthians, it speaks of the hair as the glory of a woman. Who would shave their head? 
Well, the Babylonians did it to their captives. And here now, God tells Ezekiel to shave his head, shave his beard, make himself bald, and then to take this hair, and he's supposed to split it up into three sections. Three sections. Now, some of it you take and go put there in the city of Jerusalem. Well, I'll have to just go since I got the little pieces here. Some of it is supposed to put in the city of Jerusalem. By the way, you know what these hairs are symbolism of? People. People. Put some of them there in the Jerusalem, a third of them there, and then take just a few of them. You don't have a pocket. Oh, yeah, you do. Put a few of them in your pocket. I do, I do. And then take a third of them and go and... Um, Scatter it before the wind. Sorry, Mr. Eisinger. And when you scatter it before the wind, the wind will blow it away. Do you see it all? And then chase them, the hairs with the sword. And then take a third of them, put them, and beat them with the sword, with a knife. Now, you're all sitting here watching this going, this bald guy has really gone crazy now. <laughs> but it's a sign. God says, this is what I will do to the people. Split them into thirds. Oh, we didn't finish here. What happens to those in the city? Burn them. burn them. I, I bet you this got attention. You know what hair smells like when it burns? You're about to find out. It's not very pleasant. And here, God tells Ezekiel, burn them in the midst of the city, for that's what will happen to the people. A third part shall die with the pestilence and with the famine. Verse 12. They shall be consumed in the midst of thee. And a third part shall fall by the sword round about thee. And I will scatter a third part into all the winds. And I will draw out a sword after them. Warning. Warning. Warning, the watchman, the son of man, Ezekiel, declares. In chapter 7, the Lord speaks of his temple. He describes his temple as the beauty of his ornament that he set in majesty. But his temple, they made the images of their abominations, of their detestable things therein. Therefore, have I set it far from them. And I will give it into the hands of the strangers for a prey, and to the wicked of the earth for a spoil, and they shall pollute it. The temple will be defiled. Defiled. There's so much here that I'm skipping over, but you might be saying, well, what, are there not any righteous? Would the Lord not spare any for, for the righteous, for the righteous that are in the city? 
Well, that question is proposed. And if we turn all the way to chapter 14, God says to Ezekiel that though there be three men famous for their character, I will not spare this city. For in chapter 14, verse 14, God says, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Here cited three men known for their character, Noah, Job, and Daniel. Two of those men are historical figures in Ezekiel's day, but on this day, one of them is a contemporary, Daniel in Babylon. Everybody knows Daniel. At this time, Daniel has risen to be the third most powerful in the kingdom. He's a powerful man. And he's righteous. But God says, though these three men were there, they would be but delivered by their own righteousness. For God says that he will send a sword, a sword against them. Oh, please. I'm skipping so many chapters where there are so many other object lessons and lessons for us to learn. But as we continue on through this, turn with me to chapter 24. For here we have yet another date. Again in the ninth year, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month. This is January 15th, 5888 B.C. And here on this day, God comes to Ezekiel, and he says to him, write this date. Why? Write the name of the day, even of this same day, the king of Babylon set himself against Jerusalem this same day. You might say, how would Ezekiel know that? If you were passing by, Ezekiel writes down publicly where everybody can see, you know, watching by, what's Ezekiel doing today? And there he's got today's date written. The day Nebuchadnezzar besieges Jerusalem. I imagine some mocked him. But you know, in the coming days, it was confirmed that indeed, on January 15th, 5888 B.C., in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, indeed, Nebuchadnezzar had besieged Jerusalem, just as Ezekiel had prophesied, just as he had warned. And that siege lasted three years. But this date is more significant. For as we continue to read later on in this chapter, God tells Ezekiel, today your wife will die. The symbolism was paralleled to Jerusalem. For the Lord 
viewed Judah, Jerusalem, as his wife. In fact, one of these chapters is glorious as describes Jehovah finding Israel in her blood and taking her and cleaning her and making her his own and saying to her, live, and decking her in beauty and glory and majesty for her to later, just as Israel did, to turn to whoredoms, adulteries, lewdness, and great wickedness. That's what has happened with Jerusalem. And now here on this day, the very day that Jerusalem is besieged, that Nebuchadnezzar comes against it. Ezekiel's wife dies. But you know God gave Ezekiel special instructions. When your wife dies, do not weep for her. Do not mourn for her. When the morning comes, get up and go about your day as if nothing happened. Could you imagine being given such an instruction? I imagine that Ezekiel, a man portrayed as one who is godly, loved his wife. And now God says she's going to die today. And when she dies... Don't cry. Don't mourn. And you might be thinking, why? Well, God explained to Ezekiel. It is a sign of the judgment that is being brought upon Jerusalem. This is how God is towards Jerusalem. As though an iron pan is in his face. And he's calling for Ezekiel to do so, to show that the judgment coming against Jerusalem will not be turned back. Though Jerusalem is his prized city, the place where he chose for his name to be, because of their wickedness, God will not turn back this judgment. It will continue. And as a sign of this, God tells Ezekiel, when your wife dies, do not mourn for her. God says that Jerusalem will be as a boiling pot, burning hot with fire, and the people are as if they're burning in it. Do you see the horrors? The horrors? Do you know why? Because they wouldn't repent. You might say, how could God be so cruel? He's pleading with the people for years and years to repent, to repent, but they wouldn't repent. They wouldn't repent. Later this morning, we're going to look at God as he actually leaves his prized city, his people. 
It wasn't because he wanted to do this. He wants them to live. Jeremiah has been preaching, repent and live. Submit to Babylon and live. The good figs will live. The naughty figs will be consumed. Repent and live. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, even in spite of his 430 days of object blessing. The Jews even in Babylon wouldn't live. They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't trust God. In the midst of all of this, God also tells him to gather together his stuff. Ezekiel, gather together your stuff. Son of man, gather together your stuff. And so he packs his suitcase. This is a message also for the people of Judah. You think you will, you will sneak away. You will flee away. Now, he says, I want you to show everyone what's going to happen to King Zedekiah. Pack your stuff in the morning. Set it out in front. Everybody's going to go, son of man, Ezekiel, where are you going? Oh, he used to play with army men, and now he's packing his stuff. And set it out so everybody can see it. Then God says to the Son of Man at the end of the day, take your stuff and go. Show these people what Zedekiah will do. So he puts his stuff upon his shoulder, and he goes in front of all the people that evening, and they're watching him go. And you know what he does? He goes to a wall, and he starts to dig in the wall. And, and he digs a hole in the wall. And, and he puts his stuff through. And, and he himself, he, he crawls in through that hole in the wall. What's Ezekiel doing? He is showing all of the people in Babylon exactly what King Zedekiah and the princes will do. They'll take their stuff. Not long after this siege, well, I shouldn't say not long after, this siege began in the ninth year of Zedekiah, and in the eleventh year of Zedekiah, that city fell. And here now, God is showing the people exactly what Zedekiah is going to do. And he then goes on to tell them all, Zedekiah is going to take his stuff and he's going to crawl through a hole in a wall and he's going to go towards the plain, towards Jericho. But he's going to get caught, probably because he had the red bag. I don't know. He goes out. He's going to get caught, God says to them all. Ezekiel tells everyone. He'll see the king of Babylon. He'll be brought to Babylon, but he will not see Babylon. And he will die in Babylon. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. It kind of actually surprises me. It's almost as if Zedekiah got the idea from Ezekiel. You would think he would have tried a different plan, knowing that Ezekiel prophesied that one wouldn't work. But that's exactly what Zedekiah did. And here now, Ezekiel, the son of man, did this as a prophecy and as a warning again. Don't try to sneak away. Don't try to crawl through the holes in the wall. 
Surrender. Even now here, the call is surrender. Put your necks under the yoke of the Babylonians and live. But it's more than that. Later this morning, we're going to look through some of the highlights of God's relationship with the people and see how even in the midst of all of this and in all of this, we see Ezekiel and we see Jeremiah, we see these godly men serving and turning to the Lord and preaching truth. But the vast majority of the city and of the people actually became worse in their idolatry and in their wickedness and in their perversion, thus bringing this great judgment upon them. And so I leave you, you may say, what's this have to do with me in 2022? It's not 5888, it's not 587 B.C., What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with me? Did you know that there is a judgment for sin? It's called the lake of fire. All of us, me too, deserve to go to the lake of fire. Because we're sinners. Because we've broken God's law. We've disobeyed our parents. We've told lies. We've been unkind. We have disobeyed. We deserve the lake of fire. This morning, I want to be a watchman and tell you that if you die without your sins forgiven, you will go to the lake of fire. But believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's he? Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God who became one of us, a man. He never sinned. He lived a perfect life, and he died for me and he died for you. He took my sin upon him. He took your sin upon you so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you would not have to be punished for your sins. The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus, that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish the everlasting lake of fire, but have everlasting life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, the Bible says. Believe on Jesus. Trust him. This is the gospel that Paul was not ashamed of. This is the good news that he was not ashamed of. He proclaimed boldly. Have you believed in Jesus? Have you received his gift of life? Do you live by faith? For the just shall live by faith. I'm a watchman this morning, warning you, but not just warning you of the trouble, but telling you of the good news. Be like Daniel and believe God. Don't be like Zedekiah and refuse to believe God. Don't be like the many, many, many people in Jerusalem who totally ignored God's way and instead went further and deeper into more and more sin. Turn to God. Trust him. And you know what? Then be a faithful watchman. Be a watchman. Believe me, we're not called to do some of these things Ezekiel was called to do. But we are called to be witnesses, telling the good news, 
warning of judgment to come. Let's be faithful in those things. Can we do that? Let's be faithful. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Ezekiel. May we be bold and courageous like he was. Lord, I pray for those here today who have not believed in you, who have not had their sins forgiven. May they trust you, believe you, and have their sins forgiven today. We commit ourselves now to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.